Welcome to Church Birch and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the church, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude toward religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits <laughs> asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. Inside a princess. I'm guessing you think your intuition is pretty good. You read people rather well. Trust your instincts. Trust the force, Luke. At the core of the romantic ideal in America today is the scene of two unknowns who look across a crowded room, happen to catch each other's eyes, and it is immediately there. You feel the electricity as it sparks between them and shudders through their body down to their toes. Nothing will be the same again. Perhaps a third notices this silent exchange, camera angle catching it just right, and now knowing voyeurs react and the plot line is set. Will this be the beginning of a great romance or a tragedy of epic proportions? With a whiff of smelling salts, we know real life would end up with some twisted combination of the two. I relate to the writers who desire to create a tale rather than be another typical moviegoer at the mercy of the author or producer's imagination. How would we write the tale? Want to have happy endings? Then craft the story that way. Want to see tragedy turned into miracles? Write it that way. The power of authorship can be powerful. But what do you do if you're enamored with a story already told, a story known to many and told for millenniums? What if you see it differently? What if the villain isn't a villain and the heroine isn't quite so heroic? What do you do then? Let's make it harder. What if that story is in the Bible? Really, a Bible story which may have some insights people have been missing and missing badly. If told another way, there are those in this world who could be helped by telling it, bringing it to life, and giving a whole new twist to a dust-covered Sunday school lesson long forgotten. What would that be like? Let's find out. Welcome, Katie Holmberg, to Church Hurts Well, Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. KD, the book, The Egyptian Princess, A Story of Hagar, really hot off the presses, but not official yet, but you can get it on Amazon. So I just want to pitch it right away. How in the world did you choose the unlikely character from the book of Genesis, Hagar? Well, it was kind of a combination of things. I was developing friendships with several Arabs, happened to be um, Palestinians. And then um, also reading Genesis. And when I got to Genesis 16 and read about her story there and realizing that God met with this young woman that I didn't really know a lot about at that time twice and gave her essentially the same promises he gave Abraham. So this is a woman, you know, in the Old Testament, we see that God has elevated and um, 
I just started taking a deep dive into it and I ran across from the Midrash um, where it states that when Sarah was in Pharaoh's harem that he gave her, his daughter Hagar, as a servant um, saying, it is better that my daughter should be a servant in the house of such a woman than a mistress in another house. So this opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, in Hebrew and Arabic tradition, she was actually a princess before she became a handmaid. And obviously, I just went, well, how did that happen? You know, I, I just kept digging to find out more. Well, pretend that we've forgotten the story. I mean, it, church, church, and we have people listening from across the spectrum. And I tend to have as a default the thought that somehow people learn stuff in Sunday school. And these days, there isn't even Sunday school anymore. Uh, so could you kind of just give us the basic story as if we've never read anything in the book of Genesis? We don't know anything about the Bible. What's the basic story that you started out with from 2,000 years before where we started counting positively? So that means 4,000, 4,100 years ago, right? Right. Um, somewhere in that era, but um, if you don't know anything about Hagar, which I, I think is probably an unfamiliar topic to a lot of people, um, she was uh, a, a servant, handmaid to Sarah, and in Genesis 16, we find that um, Sarah gave her to Abraham as wife so that he could have children through her. She has a son named Ishmael, um, not too long after that, uh, Sarah has a son, a miracle son named Isaac. And um, then Hagar is, Abraham actually gives her back to Sarah. So she's your handmaid, do whatever you want with her. And from there, she was expelled from the Hebrew tribe. So she went on um, into the desert and not only survived, but thrived and developed her own nation. She's literally the mother of the Arab nation. So that's, that's basically what we know before we start digging deeper. But I did see that um, if it's true she's a princess, she actually would have been with the tribe starting in Genesis 14. So all those things that happened between Genesis 14 and 16, she would have been present for, the, for those things. But okay, let, let me let me stop you. Let me stop you for a second here and see if I got this right. Because we're not used to words like handmaiden, so that can throw us. We're not used to women typically named Hagar, so that can throw us. Um, but basically, if we picture four thousand years ago, I mean, the world really was made up largely of tribes, right? I mean, this is people just trying to figure out how to get along and who's in the region where they are. It's didn't have the nations like we have now, except Egypt, right? And ancient Mesopotamia, where um, Abraham and Sarah came from. So that was pretty much on the decline while Egypt was rising, you know, dur during the dynastic period. And um, yeah, so they, Egypt at that time was arguably the most sophisticated culture of the day. All right. So in that context, from you said surmise, because you you take this story and it's it's fiction, but you've really done your research. Uh, but again, to kind of just put it into more of a modern mindset, you really have a woman who 
there's a good chance she might have been raised in a royal household uh, for what that meant in those days, um, but ended up being given away to kind of a prominent man, but really in a tribe, tribal fashion as a slave. And right. man, I mean, there's a change in life and you just, you develop and fill in those gaps, don't you? I do, you know, and, and like you said, it is fiction. Um, when I realized, you know, from, from the Hebrew and the Arabic traditions of her being the daughter of a king, um, that's where my research turned. So I started looking into ancient Egypt and that dynastic period and figuring out what that looked like to be a, pr- a princess at that time. And it pretty much didn't change through the dynasties. Um, girls were given equal um, educations, royal children, anyway, were given equal educations to the boys. Um, so, you know, it, it developed a character that was educated and sophisticated instead of kind of this throwaway little slave that we, we see when we pick up the story in Genesis 16. So it just gave me a whole different view of who this woman really probably was. And, and, you know, really to jump just way ahead, but um, the practical implications for women, for moms, um, they're going to be reading the story, but there's some really healing stuff here. So tell me about your personal context. Like who in the world is Katie Holmberg? Uh, what's, what's your life like and why do you kind of, why did you end up with a passion for this slave woman? Um, I don't, you know, once I started reading about Hagar, and that was almost 15 years ago, and I just could not get her name out of my head and just kept kind of going deeper and deeper into things that I could find about her. Um, but for me personally, it was at a time too when I was experiencing an empty nest when kind of that sweetest season in a mother's life is ending permanently. And I mean, it's, there was, you know, Experiencing that kind of loss um, and then reading about a woman who 4,000 years ago that God saw and she she named him um, the God who sees me and he saw me at that time. And before I even knew it, you know, with Hagar, this was moving me. He was already moving me into a new purpose um, to tell her story. And just the idea that 4,000 years ago, he saw this woman alone in the desert as a single mom. She's a single mom. It's different for me, but um, he saw me where I was in that time and, and provided for me as well. So I think a lot of women can relate to her um, on a lot of levels. You know, if, um, if you're listening to this and you want to find out more and get the book, you know, you can just go to katieholmberg.com and um, I highly recommend it. Let me just take a break for a moment um, to mention um, the group that I work with. It's called Standing Stone. And Standing Stone, uh, we really care for frontline workers uh, in the spiritual world, ministers, missionaries, recovery specialists. We provide an arm to lean on, an ear to listen, understanding from experience with unceasing prayer. This is all done with no cost to those receiving help from Standing Stone Shepherds because of your faithful gifts. I am one of those shepherds who depends upon your support. And so we humbly ask you to consider giving today. Just go to Church Hurts and 
org, and you'll find the donate button and consider if you would how you could help today your gift means more than you know and we'll squeeze every penny yeah. having said that uh, katie there's uh uh, you're you're going to be rich because so many people are going to buy this book. It's just really, <laughs> it's it's really good stuff. And and you know you know people don't realize, but I mean it's hard to sell any books these days. But you got a topic that I think is really going to touch a lot of lives. How did you get into writing to begin with? This is a later in life venture, isn't it? Right. As far as taking writing seriously and developing the craft, I've always dabbled a little with poetry and, you know, writing church bulletins or neighborhood newsletters, but it wasn't until I decided to tell her story and I wrote the story down and I'm a big reader. I, you know, I've always read a lot. And just from that, I could tell I didn't know what I was doing writing a book. So I literally had to go back and, and spent almost a decade learning the craft of writing just to have a shot at, at doing Hagar justice. Um, in a novel. So um, that's kind of where my story went. And um, I'm just, I'm glad God took me there. Say that it's fiction and that gives you a lot of freedom. And I, I, right. I know it's fiction. At the same time, I don't want to underestimate the amount of research and study you've done. I mean, you know, way more than mo most people do about this period in time, but you know, the average um American, I don't think really knows much about the details that Islam traces their roots back to Abraham, um, as well as Jews and Christians. And so how much of your fictional story was inspired by kind of the Muslim narrative concerning Ishmael, um, you know, Hagar's uh, son? Um, and, and I picked that up in my second novel about her that will come out about this time next year. It's called More Than a Handmaid. And that's when we kind of go into the tribe of Abraham um, with Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac come into the picture there too as well. But um, but I don't know that I really went into Islam as deep as mostly just the Arab, you know, the Arab nation that I was focusing on. And of course, Arabs are Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. So it's mostly, um, it was just mostly them that I focused on. Islam doesn't really speak in the Quran about Hagar. Um, they focus more on Ishmael and Abraham. But, um, you know, there's a lot of other Arabs out there that, um, you know, are, are, like I said, Jews and, and Christian. So it was mostly just about that ethnicity than um following religion you you say of course um when you talk about those distinctions and i don't think that's a course for a, a lot of people uh, but uh, let me just mention <laughs> that some people might also have reverberating in their brain wait a minute hagar's mentioned somewhere else so in the new testament the apostle paul mentions hagar as kind of being separate from the promises of Abraham that he was given that went to Israel. And so people just have these general categories in their head where Hagar is associated with the law and don't really delve into it deeply. So they don't know the story really about the fact that God spoke to Hagar. I mean, really, 
twice. Yeah, he spoke with her twice. And he, um, and as I said, he gave her the same um, promises that he gave uh, to Abraham as far as becoming, a, that she would be the mother of a nation. And that's happened. I mean, we still have Arabs and Jews, you know, here, of course. And that, this was kind of the origin story of those two. Um, and it happened 4,000 years ago. And it's still contemporary, still a contemporary story. Hey, Paul, I'm going to want to bring you in here for a minute. Um, <clears throat> but as we bring Paul back in, um, there really is a God saw me too aspect to the story that mm-hmm. was, really was, was honest for you. And you've been a person who've lived the Christian life uh, thoroughly. For our viewers, you would have no way of knowing. But one of the churches I started many years ago in Chicago um, was in uh, uh, an apartment that Katie had with a friend. And we had 18 people. And now that is a <laughs> big, formal church in downtown Chicago. Right. Um, but you got to a place too, where you were, you know, most of life could have been just chasing fun and on to the next vacation. Uh, you needed to hear that God was including you in life too, didn't you? Right. And that's, you know, when I, I stated that, you know, when my kids left, um, I, you know, and he gave me a purpose and that's basically what I was praying for. Not just a purpose, but a kingdom purpose, something that would illuminate, you know, the, Christ on earth, um, the, that heavenly kingdom, you know, that we look towards as Christians. But this story really becomes a bridge, I think, between Christians and Muslims and the Jews. This is, this is where it all began, you know, and we're just, we see it still almost every night on the news, you know, things happening in Israel and the West Bank and, and all of that. So, um, yeah, I think, um, I don't know, I just is, is a fascinating story to me. And when I look at, well, how is, you know, how, how do we know if the Bible is real? You know, that comes up a lot these days. And this is one story that kind of confirms that, that these two people were given these promises and we have the flesh and blood DNA proof that those promises were legit. And, you know, after 4,000 years, it's still going on. So when else does that happen, you know, in history? When does that happen? So anyway, I just, I just still think it's a, it's a fascinating, she's a fascinating woman and um, brings very much to uh, my experience as a believer and also in how I view, you know, the Arabs and the Jewish nation, you know, just giving me more understanding of both of them. Hey Paul, what do you what are you thinking of this? I mean, we do church hurts and 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 when you want to talk about church hurting, you get into these kind of issues. Man, people just get divided. It's interesting. Inside of churches, you have diff, different views of of what this really brings current. But what do, what do you think of this story? Give me your views so far. I think it's another example of what Cecil B. DeMille, the famous movie producer from the twenties and thirties, said. He said there's a movie or a book in every page of the Bible. And I just Mm -hmm. don't know that people really look at it that way. 
I actually had a class at the University of Michigan in the 70s when I went to college there, and it was it was a great literature class. And they one of the great literature we read was the Bible. And they didn't view it. They said, leave aside whatever your religious ideas are, true, false, right, wrong, real stories, whatever you want to think of it as. It's a powerful, it is filled with powerful stories. No wonder this book has survived, not just because of its inherent truth, but the way they truthfully told tales to people. And I don't think we think of it as that way. I don't think we go back and look for uh, empowering female stories or uniting uh, stories that bring different groups together. We don't think, we think we look for the lessons in the Bible. We overlook the power of the stories. That's my feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree um, with that. What, what, one of the things it did for me, KD, is it really gave me some freedom to think beyond uh, what is actually written. So, you know, I picture the stereotype of Abraham. The average person pictures a Sunday school um, kind of drawing. Oh, yeah, of, some guy know, with a flowing robe and a big yeah. beard or something, yeah. Yeah, placed on the flannel board. Do you remember that? From- exactly, exactly. <laughs> big staff, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but in reality, I mean, Abraham was a big deal, right? Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, how many, I mean, we're talking about he was like a major, uh, you know, like business owner in terms of the amount of sheep and cattle and you know, right. lots of people underneath. And, and the other thing I find amazing, and I think I, I think you touched on this, and I hope it, I hope I'm understanding it correctly, is this is where sort of the tribes come back and unite. Uh, you know, we are there are th- there are three separate religions that have a book in common: Jews, right. Muslims, and Christians. They all start mm-hmm. from the same stories. They all start from they all refer to the same book. Uh, and it really, Abraham is kind of, isn't that where sort of the, it, maybe at that point, I guess if I'm understanding it correctly, this is where they start to diverge. And this is the first point. I mean, much later, obviously, it's all a question of, is Christ the chosen? The Jews say no, the Christians say yes, and the Muslims say maybe, but there's another guy you got to bring in too, you know. Uh, everybody's got their opinion of where that lands, but they all kind of intersect back to Abraham. They, they all see right. themselves as Abrahamic people. You know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, more so, more so Abraham than in the book, because we really don't have uh, what we consider the Old Testament as as Christians or mm-hmm. uh, the Torah, the law, so forth for Jews. Is that's not the same uh, for Islam, but it is the same in the sense of going back to Abraham. Abraham, exactly. Yeah. Abraham, so right kind of here, the... you're talking about the story you develop, Katie. Really brings to life the personal thing that 2000 years later and but it 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 lets me it lets me think about that want to do that with really all the rest of the bible say what are some of the stories behind what what were those characters really like yeah. what was the you know that kind of thing and, and let me ask you another kind so i'll ask the bomb thrower question here and i don't have the answer to this here but so many people <laughs> want to debate is the Bible literally true? This is an actual person, an actual story. There really wasn't Noah. Or is this just an allegory? This is just a story. And does it matter? I don't know. I had a Sunday school teacher once that said, she got so frustrated. She said, I don't, I don't know. And it doesn't matter. It's still, there's a story there. And learn the point of the story. Whether they really were there or they're, or they're exaggerated or a screenwriter made them up, 
I mean, you know, God, the screenwriter made them up wholesale just to make a point. I don't know. What what do you think? Wait, wait, Katie. This is Paul (laughs) who makes fun of me all the time for the theologians and the historians that I love to have on the show. He does. I get a novelist and he asks you about inerrancy. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I well, because she studied this and I you know, I mean, do you do is it important? I, I'd just be curious, you know, is the, I, I sense that you see this as a real person that really existed and this was that, or is this a story of somebody that's either, is, is this a story or is this history or both? I, I don't know. Um, I, I actually believe it's history. I, I, I don't, I can't doubt it because we have Arabs and Jews today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and this is, was their origin story. We have a record of where, those two ethnicities or whatever yeah, right. um, started. Right. I mean, it, yeah. it, we have that. And the thing I did learn in researching this is that the Hebrews, um, I, you really can depend on, on their documents in history because they were very honest about it. Hmm. Uh, most kings at the time, especially Egyptian kings, Mesopotamian kings and all of that were, uh, they never recorded their defeats. But the ah, Hebrews, ah. the Hebrews write it all down. I mean, look at what we know about David and Solomon and yeah, all those right. guys and and, Aaron, and, and Abraham. I a mean, good point. You know, some of the things are not in their personality weren't really shining, but um, they wrote it all down, the good, bad and the ugly. So, you know, I, I found a lot of um, comfort and belief in reading their documents. And studying, you know, what they had to say about it, because that was a big difference I found from from that and reading like ancient Egyptian texts. Interesting. Do you so, uh, do you happen to get into the part of the story that is really humorous to see people try to clean up for church, where um, one might crassly say where Abraham pimped out his wife? Do you get into that <laughs> part? Uh, I do so in my awkward. second book. So okay. this is this is um, the first in a trilogy, and the second book takes us into all of that. So it goes pretty deep, and and that was a lot of fun. Just because leaving this book, um, Hagar and Sarah are on a pretty good standing, a pretty good footing, and there's a lot in um, Hebrew history that talks about Sarah, um, that that Hagar had her own tent, that um, Sarah encouraged the other women of the tribe to get to know her, to visit her, to show her hospitality. So they were, you know, going into this, they were friends. And to be able to take that character arc and then turn it on its head when everything goes, you know, sideways for the two of them. Um, that was a lot to write, but that is all, you know, in the second book. Um, but All right, people yeah, are going to have so. to they're going to have to pick it up. The Egyptian princess, a story of Hagar. Uh, <laughs> Katie, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm um, really looking forward um, to your writing in the future as well. But let's make sure we pick up that one. Let me say a word before we go. If one was to do a scholarly study of the handmaiden Hagar, it wouldn't take them long to discover Katie surely isn't the first one to have found Hagar's story compelling for speculation. In the 1970s, there was a trend in Israel to give the name Hagar to female newborns. This was a controversial way of showing support 
for reconciliation with the Palestinian and larger Arab world. No small issue in our lifetime. African-American feminists often appeal to Hagar as a model for their cause. The list could go on. I'd like to close with one of the things on that list I find particularly interesting. In Islam, Hagar is especially important as, quote, the matriarch of monotheism. Now, without getting into the details of the appropriateness or lack thereof of such a title, consider the point, monotheism. What is that besides a big word that's learned in Religion 101 if one was fortunate enough to have had such a class? As the original creatures roamed the earth, what we now call human beings, they speculated widely about the world they lived in. How did it get here? Who else is here? Why does it rain? Such speculation led to all forms of primitive religions, which was a primary motif, by the way, in most forms of primitive art. Gods were conjured up for the most mysterious questions and forces of nature. Sacrifices to these gods became traditions and took shape in all sorts of worship. Polytheism is the big name for that. Poly meaning a lot of in Greek. As early cultures developed, various tribes of people formed and their individual beliefs took on a collective nature. They'd often provide the definition for why people lived with different values and practices from one another. So amid this array of religions came one which stood out from the rest. It claimed that there were not many gods. The saying, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, became primary. It may not seem to mean much to us today, but it was a thunderbolt of meaning in a world where polytheists were running around and gods were found under every bush. But there's more to the story. These people didn't just claim there was only one God. They claimed this God actually spoke to his people through crucial leaders. That one God spoke to Abraham, a God who actually spoke and communicated. Yep, that was unique. In those original days, some 4,100 years ago, God showed up to Abraham and he spoke to a few others. And one of those few was perhaps a former princess, now a lowly servant name of Hagar, known to many as the matriarch of monotheism. One God speaking to a servant woman right off the bat. Mm -hmm. I think he was making a point. Do you hear it? It's worth a thought for church hurts and this is John Bash. Go and enjoy God today, won't you? Well, that was worth a thought for sure. And brings us to the end of this edition of Church Hurts and Next week, it's rumored we'll be walking on the edge of controversy, stirring the pot of denial, and finding movement of the divine. Our host, Dr. John Bash, is a shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving the ministry prematurely. Come visit us at churchhurtsand.org. Tell us your story while you're there. Until then, remember, Church Hurts isn't the end of the story. Now go into the end. Enjoy God today, won't you?